Good morning, everyone. Um, so before we begin, um, I want to share about this girl named Kat that we prayed for last week. Um, Pastor Ujin, and for those of you who aren't here, um, one of our attendees, um, she, I think she, they have a five-year-old daughter named Kat, and she had really bad pneumonia. Um, uh, the, the pneumonia, what do you call it? Is it phlegm or something? It, it spread all over her lungs and all over her body, and um, doctors were trying to put her on a breathing tube because she couldn't breathe on her own, and the parents were really, really, really scared. So that's why they asked Pastor Ujin and I to go visit them, pray for them, and visit them on Sunday. And so we, so we prayed, we prayed for them on her on Saturday, and we prayed for her on Sunday morning. And last week she says, by Sunday morning, like pneumonia was going, like aggressively dissipating, was going away. And when I visited her, when Pastor Ujin and I visited her, um, she was starting to be in really good spirits. So the the the, the girl that were that was in a very critical state on Saturday night, um, I think largely due to our prayers and the faithfulness of God that she is getting better. I think she, she is home. Is that right, Pastor Uch? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think she, 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 she's home. So God truly listened to our prayers. So for those of you who prayed for her, thank you very much. Right? God has listened to our prayers. So let's begin our sermon with a word of prayer. Father, what we have just shared um, about Kat demonstrates, Lord, that you are not only a con- not just a concept, but you are truly the living God who actively moves within the events of our lives. Father, it's very tempting to relegate you to a theology or a concept that has no bearing in our life, but that's not true. You are very active. You are the most active. You are active everywhere. Father, and, we, and, and, we, and it is to, that, and to, to the act of God that we, we, we look to you today. Father, um, what we're going to talk about today is about healthy eyes. We need, our, we need to see things differently. The only way out of anxiety is to see things differently. The only way to overcome sin is to see things differently. And that, and that you truly give new eyes to your people. So I pray, dear God, if there are those of us who are here with bad eyesight who cannot see you, I pray that you clarify, you, you, give, you give them clear vision today. If there's of us, if those of us, Lord, who have blurry vision of you, who have once walked faithfully with you, but now we don't because of our blurry vision. I pray, Lord, through these words that you will restore our vision so that we will see things differently, so that we'll we'll live lives, we'll live for treasures that truly matter. All these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are continuing our series in the Sermon on the Mount. And for those of you who are joining us for the first time, um, Sermon on the Mount is one of of Jesus' longest sermons, and it's in the first... Is, is in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And in the sermon, Jesus describes what a Christian is. Jesus describes the inner reality of the Christian, which is summarized in the Beatitudes. And Jesus then, after the first 20, 21 verses of the Beatitudes, he describes what these people with new inner realities, how they live in this world. So in, in summary, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is really about how Christians should live. And how Christians should live in this world is Christians live differently from the world. If you're a Christian, Jesus clearly says, you will live differently from the rest of the unbelieving world. Why? Because if you're a Christian, God has given you a new eyesight. We only act in accordance to what we see, Right? We, our actions reflect what we see is true, right? Um, whether you're a believer or unbeliever, everyone's action is based on what we think is true. Christians live differently. Christians live in accordance to the ethics of God and the, and the character of God because they start to see that the ethics and the character of God is true, and you want to live in accordance to what you see is true. Being a Christian is all about having new eyes, right? And having new eyes is clearly reflected in the Lord's Prayer. If you have new eyes, then what you want will change, right? If you have new eyes to see God, you will start praying that God's name be hallowed, that God's name be revealed, that God's name will be glorified. If you have new eyes to see God, that's what you genuinely want, 
right? If you see, if you start seeing with God's eyes, what you want from the world is different. Where before, what you wanted from the world was to achieve things in the world. When you have new eyes, what you want more than anything else is for God's kingdom to come into this earth. If you have new eyes, you don't really care about your kingdom anymore. You care about his kingdom, his reality being reflected in your heart and the hearts of the people around you. If you have new eyes to see God, you will know that everything comes from the hands of God. Therefore, you depend on him for everything. And when you have new eyes to see God, you know that one of the greatest needs that you have, perhaps the greatest need that you have, is for your sins to be forgiven. You see, being regenerate, being born again, being born of God means you have new eyes to see. And when you have new eyes to see, how you see things, what you want, drastically changes. What is the tragedy of the Pharisees and hypocrites is that they were very religiously, biblically-minded fellows. They were. Right? They really... Uh, love the Word of God. They love studying the Word of God. They really try to st- strive and live in accordance to the will of God. And that's true. But their problem is this. They try to do religion. They try to teach other people to do religion without new eyes to see. Their eyes remain unchanged. Their eyes remained still unbelieving to the real God. And yet they got really religious. So uh, and eyes that, not, that cannot see God trying to be religious leads to how they, how, how they lived. It is perfectly possible for us to be religious and still have the same old eyes. When you, have, when you become religious and still have the same old eyes, what happens to you? You just become prideful. You use religion to, to, to be prideful. You use religion to justify your greed. You use religion to justify your hate. Christianity gets this flag. Oh, you Christians, look at all these bad things that Christians have done throughout history. And that's true. A lot of people in the name of, being, in the name of Christianity did a lot of crummy things. Why did they do that? It's because they tried to do the Christian thing without having their eyes changed. If you are just religious without having your eyes changed, You become a dangerous person. You use the things of God to self-promote. You use the things of God to make you feel better compared to other people. You will use the things of God to make yourself stand out in comparison to other people. It happens all the time, you see. Religion without new eyes. When I was younger, when I was in college, I was such an 18-year-old PJ. Oh, such energy, right? Such passion. It was passionate energy without new eyes. All my friends, right? We were like so passionate about the Lord. We wanted to do things for the Lord. We thought the world cannot change without us doing things for the Lord. We were so passionate. But our understanding of God was very shallow. We were passionate with a shallow understanding of God without changing, without having new eyes. You know what happens to that? When you become passionate, religiously passionate without new eyes, you become super depressed because you know you try to do things for God, but you fail and you become super depressed. You know what happens when you try to be passionate without new eyes? Eventually you will burn out. All the passionate Christian friends that I used to walk with in college, half of them fell away. Half of them became Sunday Christians. They don't maintain their passions. Why? Passions fade. And if passion is not supported by new eyes, your love for the Lord will wane. You need new eyes. Speaking of new eyes, I'm just fascinated by Kanye West. You know Kanye West? You know what I mean? Jesus is king. Fantastic. Right? I hope his conversion is true. I really, really, really pray. It seems true, right? I'm really pulling for that Kanye guy. So you know, I, was, I was interviewing, I was watching, his, watching an interview with, with uh, 
his interview with James Corden. James Corden is a late night TV talk show. He comes out at 12.35 a.m. That's when I watch TV, 12.35 a.m., right? So he, he, was like, he was interviewing Kanye West, and James Corden asked him, so Kanye, what do you, what do, you do at night with Kim, right? He said, well, we, you know, we cook dinner, we bathe the kids, like, just like all of you, right? Kim Kardashian and Kanye West cook for their kids and bathe them. And then what do you do after they go to sleep? Well, Kim watches Dateline, she says, and I read the Bible. Kanye West reads the Bible every night. Oh, it's a rebuke, right? And so James Corden looks at him and says, what do you say to people who knew what you were like five years ago? And, they, and people who knew you five years ago, they will say, I can't believe this transformation. He must have some ulterior motive. I can't believe Kanye's a changed man. What do you say to your doubters? Kanye West says, would you agree that if you're asleep, you're asleep? And would you agree that if you're awake, you're awake? When you're sleeping and when you're waking, there are two different states. He says, before I was asleep, but now I'm awake. I'm awakening. What he's saying is this, before this conversion, he looked at life in a certain way. But now things, have diff things are different now. You can see it in his album, right? New eyes. God is not interested in your religious activity. He is all about having, you having, me having new eyes. That's why Jesus in verse 21 and 22 in today's verse, he says, if the eyes is healthy, then your, then your body is full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, then your body is full of darkness. What he means is, if you have healthy spiritual eyes, everything about you will become healthy. If you have unhealthy spiritual eyes, everything about you will be depressed and sick. We'll talk more about what it means to have spiritual eyes, but that's what it means, right? He is emphasizing the need to have new eyes, new healthy eyes. And this is especially relevant for anxiety. We, today, we're gonna, today, this week and next week, we're going to talk about anxiety, worries. And we'll talk about the causes of anxiety. We'll talk about the inevitability of anxieties, and we'll talk about how you overcome anxieties. But... To, to, to give you the conclusion before I talk about all, all these things, in order for you, to, for you and I to overcome anxiety, we need new eyes to see things. We are anxious because we don't see things clearly. That's the root cause of our anxiety. But the way that we overcome the worries that come our way is to have new eyes. And that is clear. And the example is, one of the favorite examples in the Bible about this is, comes from 2 Kings chapter 6. In chapter six, in Second King chapter, in Second Kings chapter six, the king of Aram wanted the prophet wanted to capture the prophet Elisha, right? King of Aram was going to war with King of Israel, right? And like he wanted to trap the king of Aram wanted to you know kidnap King of Israel, but because Elisha was a man of God, he kept telling the king of Israel, "Oh, don't go there." King of Aram's waiting for you. Okay, he didn't go there. And every time like, the king of Aram tried to like, kidnap this guy, king of Israel, Elijah will warn him against what Aram was doing. So Aram got mad. Who is this guy? Who is this guy, Elisha? Where is he at? I, want to, I have to capture him because he's thwarting my plans. So he, and, and, and he gets an info from one of his spies. And the spy says, he's in the city of Dotham. So the king of Aram sends his army to the city of Dotham, right? Chariots, armies with spears and big guys with, you know, armors go to, like, descend upon the city of Dotham. Elijah's servant, like, he, like Elijah's, like, manservant, goes out the door, goes to the city, and he looks and he sees the entire city surrounded by the king of Aram. Elijah's servant freaks out. He goes to Elijah, Master, 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 what are we going to do? The army of King of Ram is surrounding us. What do we do? 
Elijah, so zen, so peace. He says, Lord, open the eyes of my servant so that he may see. After Elijah prays, the, 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 the servant looked outside the city gates again. And what he saw was, not only did he see the, the, the army of King of Ram, but he saw surrounding that army was the army of the Lord. The angels of the Lord protecting Elisha and that city. That servant overcome anxiety because he saw clearly. You and I overcome anxiety when we start to see things clearly. Anxiety is a natural part of the human condition. There is no one who doesn't worry. I think one of the luckiest person in my life, I think, is my wife, because no worries, right? Like, I'm sorry, don't tell her that. But even her, who has a, who has a pretty, good, pretty good layout, right? She even she even in small anxieties of life comes to her. Anxiety is part of the human condition. The definition of anxiety is a feeling of dread, the feeling of uncertainty, the, the, the worries about tomorrow. That's what anxiety is, right? We're uncertain about tomorrow. Remember Scott Williams? He used to come here last year. He's a psychiatrist. And he's a psychiatrist, and he counsels people. And he says the most common issue that people come to him is is that people are suffering from anxiety. The number one issue that people come talk to him about is anxiety, worries about tomorrow, the uncertainty about tomorrow. Everyone is anxious. Everyone is worried. And let me, and let me, let me if, you, if you're taking notes, take notes on this. It is not a sin to be anxious. It is not a sin to worry. It's not. It's part of the human condition. Everyone in the Bible suffered from anxiety. Psalm chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, not 11, 12, 13, 14, 16, 18, 20, 22, 23, Psalms over and over again lifted the psalmist praise because he is anxious. The whole book of Psalm is about an anxious heart. All the great figures of the Old Testament, all the great figures of the Bible, not just the Old Testament, all the great figures of the Bible, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, David, even the Apostle Paul, every single one of them suffered from anxiety from one, in one time or the other. Even Jesus Christ himself suffered anxiety. Did you know that? Even Jesus Christ himself suffered painful anxiety. How do we know this? In the Garden of Gethsemane, hours before the crucifixion, he was praying and praying and praying. Right? What, 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 what's the saying? Like, sweat fell from his brow like drops of blood. Because he was so anxious. Why? Because he, is, he was very aware what the cross meant, what the wrath of God was He was clearly aware that the wrath of God was waiting for him on the cross. When he looked at the wrath of God coming for him on the cross, he was anxious. Therefore, he prayed. It is not a sin to worry. It's not. Right? What is an issue is lingering in your worries. That's the issue. Look, as I'm preaching this right now, I'm worried about tomorrow because someone at work messed up, right? And if someone messes up, the lawyer is to blame. Partner's going to blame me, right? And someone messed up real bad. And I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. Because it's one of my major clients, and they're going to be mad. As I am preaching about anxiety, guess what? I'm anxious. Right? Last week when I visited the hospital, 
it was like the IC unit of, a, of, of little kids, and you see the sick little kids everywhere. And what am I going to do? Am I going go to go talk to one of those parents who are worried about their child? Am I going to say, you're sinning by worrying about your child? Is that, is that what I'm going to say? No. It is natural to worry about your sick child. It is natural to worry. Because that is the condition of the fallen world. But like I said before, what is the issue? It's not that you worry, but if you linger in your worry, if you linger in your anxiety, if you let the stress and the worries and the thoughts dominate your mind, that's the thing that Jesus and the Bible preaches against. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 17, is it? It says, do not be anxious about anything. He says, cast, Peter says, cast your anxiety on God because he cares for you. Peter is saying, when you are worried, what you are to do is to cast. What do you know what cast? You know what casting is? I don't fish, obviously, but evidently, when you fish, you like, that's what you do, right? You cast that net all the way to the ocean. Same concept. Peter was a fisherman. He says, when you are worried, do not stay in your worrisome state, but cast it onto the Lord. Do not stay in your anxious state, but cast it to the Lord. That sounds great and all. But what, is the, what do you mean? How do you cast it to the Lord? The way you cast your anxiety to the Lord is you need to see the bigger, clearer frame of who God is. Casting your anxiety to the Lord means you take the great idea of who God is and place it in the middle of your worries. So that the greatness and the power and the sovereignty of God is, is, is more clear to you than your worries. When you worry, remember God. Remember every, all the qualities about God. Place the identity of God in the middle of your anxious state. And see the glory and the sovereignty of God. And then look at your worries. When you do, your anxiety will become small. And this is exactly what Jesus did. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 to 3. When Jesus was before the cross, when the wrath of God was coming his way, what did the writer of Hebrews say he did? He said, Jesus looked at the joy that was set before him before he went to the cross. When Jesus was anxious about the cross, what did he do? He saw the joy that was waiting before him. What was the joy that was waiting before him? The joy that was waiting before Jesus was, Jesus knew that if he was obedient to God about this, then God's name will be hallowed. God's name will be glorified. His name will be glorified. By, by Jesus going to the cross, God's name will be hallowed because by Jesus obeying God, Jesus will, God will honor Jesus. And by honoring Jesus, God will change everything in the universe. By going to the cross and being obedient to God, by, by obeying the things of God, Jesus knew that God was going to use his submission, use his obedience to change the fabric of the universe, especially saving his people like you and me. Before the stress of the cross, he saw the great plan of God. He saw God saving you and saving me. He saw God making for himself a new humanity. He saw God making the new heavens and the earth. He saw God making everything new. When Jesus saw that plan of God, the wrath of, the wrath of God on the cross was manageable. What do you do when you're anxious? See the joy that was set before you. See the love of Christ. See the sovereignty of God who controls all things. See God who cares for you. See God in whom all things are made new. You need to see Him in the midst of your anxiety. And that is how your anxiety disappears. How did I get over this anxiety that I'm going to face tomorrow? No, I did it. God, God's so good. So it happened on Friday. They made a mistake, and I'm going to be in big trouble tomorrow, right? But my son had his 18th birthday party on Friday. 
Sorry, Arlington, I really did go to my son's birthday party. Facebook pictures to prove it, right? But like it was in like a steakhouse in Fairfax Corner, and I was in the middle of DC, right? So like I left an hour before. Because Waze told me it was take it was gonna take an hour, like it was take it was gonna take 59 minutes to get there. I go, okay. Waze lied. Do you know? I go, what the so I was driving exactly what the ways told me. It was, it was like, it was like the destination time was like changing to 7.20. I go, oh. But I heard the voice of Obi-Wan Ben Kenobi, right? I heard, I heard, don't trust ways, Luke. Go to the way that you wanted to go, that you think you always go. I go, really? Trust the force, Luke. So I, rather, I, I ignored ways and I went to the route that I thought that I knew better. But it was that route was still a lot of traffic. I go, ways! But it's trust in the force, Luke. So I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I endured through it. And then when I passed a certain bridge, the traffic opened up. I go, oh, 80 miles an hour, right? No, I'm sorry, it's 65 because, you know, 10 miles above speed limit. And as I got right in front of the restaurant, there was no traffic. As I got right in front of the restaurant, a guy was like, right in front of the restaurant, a guy was leaving. And I got the parking spot right in front of the restaurant. And I made it exactly at 7 p.m. I know it's, you might say it's coincidental. You may say you're, you're you know, you know, you're crazy. But that little moment, God reminded me that I am in control of your life. To not be anxious. And as I was getting out of the car, I was filled with such joy. The Lord is my shepherd. No matter what the source of your anxiety is, casting it to the Lord means you have a clear idea of who he is. Look at your worries through the ends of who he is. That's how you overcome it. The problem with sin is this. The problem with sin is that we cannot see him clearly. And because we cannot see him clearly, we get anxious about every little single thing. The source of our anxiety is we have unhealthy eyes. Did you know, according to the study from the Journal of Behavior, I think that's what it's called, Behavior Journal, psychologists psychology did an experiment, right? And in, 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 according to this journal, they say 91% of what we worry about never happens. 91% of things that you, sleep, that you lose sleep over, it will never happen. And of the 9% things that does actually happen, right, 70-some-odd percent of it, people found that they can overcome it pretty easily. So not only does 91% of things that you worry about will never happen, even if, even if it did happen, people have the resource to overcome it. So the conclusion of the study is all, most of our, majority of our, like 93 5% of our anxieties is not really worth worrying about, they say. But that's not our experience. We're gripped with anxiety. Even though 95% of it will never happen or we can overcome it, we're gripped, we're paralyzed, we lose sleep over these things that we worry about. Why? Because all the anxiety is in our heads. It's a head game. You worry because of your thoughts. You're preoccupied with your thoughts. You think, I think that our thoughts is true. Our thoughts are real. Yesterday we had family worship service, right? And we're talking about this, right? And we're, we're going around in circles of what we worry about. And my daughter says, I worry about the, my, that I'm going to make my friends mad, right? If I don't show up to these things, they're going to be, they're going to like, they're going to be mad at me. And I said, have they ever gotten mad at you? No. Then why are you afraid? I don't know. It's not real, right, baby? Yeah, you're right, Dad. You know, such a good father. She recognizes half the things that she worries about. It's not, it's not really going to happen. 
but she's paralyzed by it somehow. It's because we lack, it's in our heads because we lack the eyes to see clearly. Because we're far away from God, right? We have a distorted view of humanity. We have distorted view of man. Because we're far away from God, men's opinion matter more than God's opinion. Right? My daughter is experiencing that. Another way that we have anxiety is because we're far away from God, we have the illusion that we are in control of our lives. Half the time that we worry about it is because we, we think we're, we don't have control. We don't have control of our kids. We don't have control of our health. We don't have control of our careers. We don't have control. We want control, but we, we're afraid that we're going to lose control. That's a distorted view of reality. Why? Because you're never in control. Can you see that? James chapter 4 says, the, the person who boasts about tomorrow, the person that says, tomorrow I'm going to do this, tomorrow I'm going to do that, tomorrow I'm going to go there, tomorrow I'm going to do that. He says, people who plan and boast about tomorrow are evil, he says. Why? Because they're acting as if, it, 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 they're acting as if, as if it is it, it, that they are in control of their lives. They're acting as if they, they can somehow plan out their lives and live according to it. That's evil. Why? Because it is only God who is in control. We are afraid because we're going to lose control. Guess what? You are never in control. You will never be in control. But because we don't know God, we think we are. Because we don't know God, we have a distorted view of our kingdom. We think this world is about our kingdom, right? The mortgages and the careers and all these things is about our kingdom. We either are afraid that we're not going to achieve the kingdom, right? Which means, like, you know, having a job is really about achieving a kingdom, right? We think we're never going to either achieve the kingdom or we're so afraid of losing the kingdom that we have. We're afraid of not achieving our kingdom or afraid of losing our kingdom. But guess what? That's a distorted view of reality because life is not about your kingdom. It was never about your kingdom. You're not the center. I'm not the center of anything. We just think we are. The source of our anxiety is distorted view of things. Distorted view of humanity, distorted view of people, distorted view of our kingdom, distorted view of our sovereignty. That's why we worry. And the way you overcome it is to have your vision corrected. One of the chief, chief things, one of the chief things that we worry that causes our anxiety is, Jesus says today, one of the chief causes of anxiety is we're pursuing after bad treasure. Because we're pursuing after bad treasure, Jesus says, our eyes are blind. And because our eyes are blind towards God, we have anxiety. What is the bad treasure that Jesus talks about? Specifically, you know, he, the, the treasure that he's talking about in today's, today's, today's sermon, today's Bible passage, he's preaching to a group of Jews that are listening to him, right? He's not really directly preaching to us. He's preaching within the context of the Jewish community that, that, he, that, that, people are, that his listeners during that time are, are, are familiar with. During this time, right, during Jesus' time in the Jewish community, people had three principal sources of value, right? They had three principal, visible, measurable things that constitutes, the three visible, measurable things that define success, security, and comfort. These three things that define their success, security, and comfort is this. Clothing, food supply, and precious gems. If you had great clothing, it's a sign that you're rich. If you have a valuable food supply, it says that you're secure. If you have a lot of precious gems, right, that means you're wealthy. You're comfortable. During people, during Jesus' time, it was these three things. Clothing, food supply, gems. You, 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 you store your clothing in your closet, right? 
you've put your food supply in a big grain container. You, 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 you bury your gems in the ground because they didn't have any like, you know, security things. They didn't have locks. These are the things that people thought they needed to live in this world. And these three things are people, that the thing that people really pursued after. Obviously, we don't, the thing that define the visible, measurable things that define our success and security, it's not food supply or clothing or anything like that. But in our culture, there are things, there are visible, measurable things that we use to measure our success, security, and, and comfort. What are the things that does a measurement of your success, security, and comfort? You know what it is. It's your mortgage. It's your W-2. Right? What else is it? Is, is, is how much money you have in your bank account? You know, at the beginning of the month when you look at your bank account, ah, so good. Hello? Right? Oh, no, no, I'm not rich, by the way. Okay, right? No, oh, no, okay. okay uh, right? When you look at your home, oh, my kids and my family are knife and secure in that home. When you look at your W-2, I go, whoa, my precious. I'm taken care of. I'm safe. The firm that gives me my W-2, it's not going to go under. I'm safe. Why do people work so hard? Why do people work so hard? Why do you work so hard? To pay the mortgage, right? To pay the mortgage, right? To pay off your student loans, to go out to restaurants. By and large, we think that's what life is. By and large, we think that's what life is, is about paying our mortgage, getting our W-2s from our employer, padding our bank accounts. And bank accounts, I mean also, you know, retirement funds, you know, like gold, if you have gold, gold stuff. You know what I mean? We need those. These are what we need. And these are what we live for. If you're not a materialist, if you're a pastor, the visible measure of security is what? It's the numbers in these seats. It's pretty full today. I feel good. I check the balances. I don't do it anymore, but I used to. Sean knows. I used to check our monthly, monthly giving. <gasps> visible measure of security and success is measured by your how, how, how many people sit in these seats and how much we give. We live for the visible, visible, measurable things. Jesus calls these treasures bad treasures. Why? A couple of reasons. Number one, it's because they're temporary, Jesus says. If you store your clothes, which is a source of you know, wealth, in your closet, guess what? Moth, there's a moth is going to come and eat your clothes. I really like this sweater. I really do. I bought it last year. But all throughout summer, I was worried that the moth is going to come and make a hole in it. Because it happened to me before. No matter what clothing that you have, moth can come and eat it. Food supply. It's not as secure as you think it is, Jesus says. Why? Because vermin can come and eat your food supply. Treasures, gems, Jesus says, is not worth it. Why? Because thieves can come and they can dig your ground and they can take your gems away. The thing that we're so like, captivated and living for, they're bad treasures because they're temporary. Either they will fade before you or you will, or, or you will fade before them. Regardless of what it is, there's going to be a separation. Right? I have a story about a guy. I was doing research about this sermon. I, I, there was a guy, a really rich guy, spent his lifetime collecting books and art. Right? Oh, I went with, the art, I went with my wife to the art museum on like, this, this Tuesday because, you know, I had a day off. I went to the art museum in D.C. It was lovely. Oh. So this guy, huge library, a lot of art collections. But he was, he was going to die. Right? He had an illness. So before his death, he touched, he says, every book he, he owned. He went to the library, touched all the books, and touched all the art, and he whispered, I must leave you now. 
Isn't that sad? Spend his wealth and time dedicating to these things. And he says, I, will, I have to leave you now. You will leave your W-2. You will leave your house. You will. Let's be honest. Your bank account will be given to someone else. Jesus is saying, is this worth investing your life for? Is it worth being obsessed about these things? Don't get me wrong. Your house is a gift from God. Every good gift comes from the Lord. He is, your house is a gift from the, from the Lord. Right? Your house may be a pain in the butt sometimes. Homeownership is horrible sometimes. Right? But it's a gift from the Lord. Your job is God placing you in the world to do a good job. That's from God too. And your money, right, is clearly from God. But let's see things as what, what they are. Temporary gifts. Not worth investing your entire life over. Not worth losing your soul over. But because we don't see the temporariness of these things that we have, we get so anxious about either losing it or not getting it. If you're a young person who's so afraid of not having a job, I think having a job is a good thing, right? But if you're overly consumed by the worries of it, it is because perhaps you think it is those jobs that will define your life. And Jesus says that is not, that is not true. The second reason why these treasures are bad it's because they result in unhealthy eyes. Jesus says, if, you, if your eyes are healthy, then your whole body is full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, then your whole body is full of darkness. What does he mean by healthy eyes? Healthy eyes mean, Jesus means singular vision. You have a singular vision. Singular vision for what? Singular vision for God. Jesus says that those with healthy eyes see God clearly. You have a singular vision towards God. Right? Those with blurry eyes cannot see God. And Jesus is saying today, if your treasure is based upon this material, visible, measurable things, Jesus is saying, you cannot see God. If all you are caring what you, what you think this life is about getting getting visible, measurable, material things, Jesus is saying your eyes are bad and you can't see God and you're not serving God. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. Right? That's what Jesus says today, right? He's saying people with bad eyes are the ones who treasure after money and people who treasure after money cannot serve God. He's saying the reason why our spirits are unhealthy which includes pride and anxiety and all these things, it's because we have the wrong idea of the treasure that matters. My friends, my brothers and sisters, if your, primary, if, you, if your primary thing about life is about achieving these visible, measurable things, if you're really honest with yourself, if that is what you really want out of life, then my brothers and sisters, you cannot see God. If, you're, if you think your life really is about having a nice, comfortable home, sending your kids to a really nice school, making a name for yourself, a security blanket here in this world, if that is what you are about, then I'm sorry, you cannot see God. You can't. Because you're serving money, you know? I'm not saying that you're greedy. I'm not. None of you. You're very generous. But if your modus operandi, your, your mode of operation, if what you want really more than anything else is a nice, secure life in this world with the things that you have, you have bad eyesight. And you're not seeing God. Therefore, your soul is riddled with pride, anxiety, worries about tomorrow. You're worried because you have bad treasure. Maybe that's the cause of all your anxiety. You are a pursuer of bad treasure. 
Jesus says, don't live like that. Lay for yourselves treasures of heaven. What are the treasures of heaven Jesus talks about? He's talking about your life here. He's saying, number one, he's saying, your citizenship is in heaven. This world is just a temporary dwelling place. Your real citizenship is in heaven. And heaven, the kingdom of God, has priorities, has a certain agenda, right? Lay yourself treasures of heaven means know that your, 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 your citizenship is in the kingdom of God. And because your citizenship is in the kingdom of God, live according to the agenda of the kingdom of God on this earth. What is the agenda of the kingdom of God? It is generosity. It is mercy. It is love. Lay yourself treasures. Heaven means live like the citizens of the kingdom of God. Live in accordance to their agenda. Live a life of, live a life with Jesus Christ. Be super generous as he is super generous with you. With all the money that you have, for example, Right? God cares about being generous to, the, to, to this world. And the reason why God gave you this abundance of money, it is so that you will show that his generosity in this world. The agenda of the kingdom of God is generosity. You use the money that God has given you to be generous in this world. Does that make sense? Your, your, your citizenship, if you're a Christian, is not in this world. It's not, it's not the things of this world anymore. It's in the kingdom of God. And the people of the kingdom of God are generous people because our Lord is so generous. Why did he give you that tax return? Why did he give you such, such money? Why is he making you a manager? Why is he giving you such high position? So that you can be generous. Let's think about this, shall we? Let's say your firm give you a bonus and you, like, your salary goes up. And when your salary goes up, you're going to say, let's buy that house in McLean. And you go and buy that house in McLean. And after you die, you go before the Lord. Is the Lord going to say, hey, man, I like your house. Wow, look at that pool. Woo, look at the red Mercedes. Good job, man. Well done with the things that I gave you. You bought a house. You bought a car. Well done with the money that I saved you. Is that what the Lord is going to tell us? He has given us things so that we can be generous. You don't have to be rich to be generous. It is a generous lifestyle. And generosity is not only material things, right? Generosity is your time. The reason why God has placed you in the job that you have, especially if your job is troublesome and toilsome and pain, if you can't stand the people that you work with, you know why God has placed you there? So you'll be generous with those people. You'll be merciful with those people. Jesus says, what good is loving people who love you? What prize is there for you if you love people who are good for you? No, no, no. The real prize is showing the mercy of Jesus Christ that, he, that you have received from him to the people that annoy the living daylights out of you. Living for the kingdom of God, being generous with the kingdom of God is being generous with your love, generous with your forgiveness, generous with your time. That's why he has placed you where you are. So that you can be generous with the people just as he is generous with you. That's how you're supposed to live this world. Look, my son is 18, right? He's 18. I'm a, I'm a parent of an adult, right? He's, like, he's, like, he's been around almost for 20 years, right? He is, like 18, rounded out 20. 20 years from now, I'll be almost 70. My life is almost over 20 years from now, right? My son becoming 18 was like that. Really fast. Dan knows what I'm talking When Dan met Caleb, he was like, he was like, Caleb was like, what? Four when Dan, good old Dan met him. Now he's 18. Dan, you're old, bud. My life, if I'm living to the, if 75 is a life expectancy of an average human being, it will be over in a heartbeat. It will. 
your life will be over in a heartbeat. People in your 20s, you think you're going to be 20 forever? Hit 30 when you get married. Oh, 30 passes by. Where do you have to get 40? 40 whizzes by. Your brief life is to live generously with your money, with your love, with your kindness, with everything. Reflect the values of heaven. And Jesus says, if you live like that, you'll be healthy. You'll be free from anxiety. To be free from anxiety, remember your citizenship and live in accordance to that citizenship. That's how you're free. Is there something that worries you right now? Is there something that squeezes your heart? Like my heart is being squeezed for tomorrow. Remember your God. Remember why he has created you in this world. Remember that your citizenship is his kingdom. Remember. Let's pray. What is this? Do you have, do you have anxiety right now? Are you afraid of losing something or not gaining something? Are you stressed out about your coworkers? Are you stressed about your, are your, are, of, you know, your kids? Are you stressed about your health? Troubles come. Jesus says it's true. Jesus says tomorrow has enough troubles. He says every day has troubles, and troubles do happen in this earth. But we can overcome anxiety by remembering who God is, what our treasures are, and how we're called to live. We have to frame our anxiety within the greater context of who God is and his kingdom. Ask God to make you, give you healthy eyes so that you will see God and your place here more clearly so that that clear vision will help you overcome your anxiety. Let us pray for these things and we'll continue.